Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Well, it's good to be in the house of God today, selfishly. It was supposed to be youth night tonight, and unfortunately we're, we're not here together having youth service, but I believe I have a word from the Lord for, for our youth and for our whole congregation regardless. So I'm excited to share it with you tonight. I've been, been praying on it, thinking on it. It's been on my heart for over a month now. So I'm just excited to get into the Word of God and, and share what, what's been on my heart. So I'm going to dive right in and start in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. This will be our opening text for tonight. And it reads in verse, sorry, verse 8 of chapter 17, And the word of the Lord came unto him, unto Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks, And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her. says, One more thing. Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. I have no bread. But I have a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruse. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Pretty grim thought. And and Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. I want to talk for just a few minutes tonight on the idea of God, take what I have. Take what I have. It's, it's amazing to think about being in the position of the widow. You know, even, not only does she have nothing left, you know, hardly anything except a final meal, and then she and her son are just going to wither away and die. Even the fire seems bleak. It's only a couple of sticks. She has virtually nothing. And maybe we felt like that before. I, I can think of times in life, not that I was close to death or starvation, but I felt like I had nothing. And I felt like I had nothing to give for God more specifically. You know, we, we, a, lot, a lot of us are familiar with the story of the talents. I have no talent, was my thought. I have, I have no special gifts to give to God, no, no abilities. I have nothing financially to give to God. And I'm telling you, the enemy wants you to believe that you have nothing worth giving to God, that you have nothing but a couple sticks 
or some, some meal and some oil and, and nothing that's worth anything. The enemy wants us in that position. But what I want to encourage you about tonight is that we serve a God who can take whatever you have, no matter how small or insignificant you think it is, and he can anoint it, and he can multiply it, and he can further his kingdom with it. He can do the miraculous with the nothing that you have in your possession. You know, again, take a minute and imagine being this widow. Imagine being this person, you, you and your child. It's not, it's not even just her. It's one thing that you have nothing and you're going to die. But imagine having to look at your son or daughter in the eye and know that you've let them come to a certain death. I can't even know that pain. I don't, I don't have children, but I can't even imagine it. And here comes the man of God. And what does he do except ask for food? The very thing that she has none of. He's got some nerve. You almost think that. Like, how can she even tolerate listening to him asking for bread? Yet she still obeys. She says, I don't, I don't have anything except this handful of meal and this little bit of oil. But, but ultimately she says, take what I have. Take what I have, no matter how small it was. It's a powerful thought. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. See, God honors obedience and faith. I, I think there's a recipe there, a formula, if you will, that obedience and faith equals miracles. And, and specifically here, there's a sacrificial giving. Right? She gives sacrificially in a way that, that is going to hurt. It's going to cost her something, potentially her life. And that very sacrifice is an act of faith. It's a powerful act of faith. Faith that God will provide for her. Faith in the man of God. I, I had a thought as I was in prayer today, or maybe a prayer, I, I don't know how you describe it, but how many times have we been in that position where you weren't at rock bottom? You, you wonder if, if the widow had enough meal and enough oil for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe a year, right? Still, still low, still, still with virtually nothing left, a couple of weeks worth of food, would she still have given to the man of God? Would she still have obeyed the voice of God? And there's no way for us to know, but I can, I can, it resonates with me in the sense that we have it figured out sometimes. We, we know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to fix the situation. And I think sometimes God just needs us to get to that very last morsel, the very last thing that we have. He needs us to get to that point of desperation before we trust him. Amen. Neither here nor there. The widow, the widow gives. And, and not only does God replenish her forever, right? These, these, this barrel of, oil, of meal, this cruise of oil never runs out. But look what happens next in this story. As I, as I tell the youth students a lot, this sometimes gets passed over in Sunday school. These finite details are so powerful in God's word. In, in verse 17 it reads, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman... The mistress of the house fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. Does that sound familiar? There was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. 
And he cried, as Elijah, he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again. And he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. God continues to honor the sacrifice of the widow, the faith of the widow, by saving her son from from death. It makes me think, if we knew what God was going to deliver us from, what he was going to prevent from happening, how he was going to bless us, and what he would do in our lives in exchange for our sacrifice, what would we be willing to give him? What, What of our nothing, our seemingly irrelevant possessions or talent, ability, what would he, what would we be willing to give up if we just knew? See, throughout God's word, he takes practically worthless sacrifices, things that are valueless to the the human person and to a society, and he anoints them. See, the, the word of God tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The book of John tells us that In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what that tells me is that this book, being the Word of God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I I resent the idea that the Old Testament isn't applicable in our lives today. I, I resent that idea. The Word of God is the same. And if God can take nothing in the Old Testament and turn it into a miracle, he can do it in 2020. I believe that. Amen. So I want to show you in the word that when, when people allow God to take what they have, he blesses it mightily. Here's an easy one. <clears throat> Go to chapter 21 of the book of Luke in verse 1. Verse 1 through 4, it says, And he looked up, this is Jesus, and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow, a widow again, casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have the, of their abundance cast into the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. See, God knows your heart. She, she cast in more than they all, even though it was, it was microscopic in comparison. I remember me, as a child seeing a cartoon of you know, replication of this, and that you just picture these gold coins and giant burlap sacks being dumped into the storehouse in the temple. And, and here comes this, this little old woman with the two little mites. It, there's all different interpretations. Some people say it was a sixth of a cent, if you wanted to have a perspective on that. Nothing. Worthless. But it was more than the rest because she gave all that she had. She, she gave sacrificially. And that faith of sacrificial giving, God honors that. And he can do the, mir- the miraculous with it. 
And, and my focus is not necessarily on financial giving tonight at all. That's way above my pay grade. No thanks. But, but it is on allowing God to take what I have, whatever that is, to take your talents and your abilities, your, your resources you've been blessed with, your time. I mean, we, we are so guarded with our time today in 2020. It's the most scarce resource sometimes, except for these last two months, seemingly. But our time that we give to God, I've heard it preached, I've heard it said, that your time, where you spend your time, reveals what you care about. Reveals where your heart is. Sacrificing our will. It's so easy as people to to have it all figured out, to plan, to to almost plan to a fault. Our flesh wants to plan everything out, and here's, here's what I want to have happen. Here are my goals for this point. But what if we just give our will to God, if that's all we had to give. I want to speak to our, our youth group for just a couple of minutes. They are so extremely talented. And I'm, I'm not taking credit for that. They, they come to us that way. But they are musically gifted, instrumentally, vocally. They, they use their talents in our church services. They are anointed by God to teach and preach. We, we've seen that in our youth services. They've, they've gotten up in front of their peers. You know how intimidating it is to do that. Most people are petrified of public speaking, and yet they will get in front of a group of peers and speak the word of God. They've even done it in these services and, and testified in front of the whole church. They have courage and confidence that I have never seen in teenagers before that, that I envy and wish that I had. They are loving and accepting of their peers in a way that I've never seen. But unfortunately, the the world wants to consume what they have. The world wants to consume those gifts from God. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll I'll come back to it, but we learned at Wisconsin Winter Youth Convention, excuse me, that the greatest struggle teenagers have today is anxiety and depression. How can that be? How can a teenager, someone 12 to 18, be struggling from anxiety and depression? What could there be in their, in their world, it's aside from extenuating circumstances? Here's what it is. There's an exorbitant amount of pressure on youth students. Schools are pushing kids to take college courses as freshmen and sophomores in high school. College applications want to see multiple extracurriculars, club participation, honor societies, and immaculate GPAs. They ought to be in band or choir. The, the ideal candidate, this is what these applications will say, the ideal candidate ought to be in band or choir. They ought to be fluent in a second language. They ought to letter in a sport. They ought to get a perfect score on their ACT. I was talking with my family last night, and there's scholarship offers that are denied because of a one-point difference on an ACT score. You want to talk about pressure, and we wonder, well, how can, how can high school students say that they have anxiety and depression because there is more pressure on young people than there has ever been? And, and all these things, you, you spend every waking hour of your day in extracurriculars and academia and sports and everything else, and all of that will get you into this perfect college that will make or break your entire life. That's the story that's told young people today. What does it all come down to? The world wants to consume what they have, right? And, and it's what God gave them, but used for everything except God's purpose for them. I have, I have a good friend of mine. He's a, 
He's a devout Baptist. But he, he talks about how, how the, or what the strategy has been to strip God out of the education system, the public school system in this country. It is not to deny the existence of God. It's not to reject God outwardly in any way in the curriculum or in the school system. But it is to ignore it completely. And I, I, can, re- I can remember being in school. I can remember being a student and hearing nothing about God. You know that they don't, they don't say the Pledge of Allegiance in schools anymore. Bibles are not permitted. Prayer is not per- or condoned. Ever. It's not a strategy of let's reject God. It's if we spend 13 years with these students and never say a word about it, there will never be a shred of importance to those kids about their God. It's just a matter of if we never speak of it, they'll never care about it. It won't be a concern to them. And that's what we've done. We have taken God completely out of those schools and, and consumed their, their abilities, their talent with everything else that can be done. And I'm, I'm not here to re- rebuke academia or clubs or athletics. Those are great things that, that provide ways and install character and, and all those different things. But I am rebuking keeping what we have from Jesus. Not leaving anything for his purpose, for his calling on our lives. It says in the book of John chapter 6, I'm reading from verse 1 through 9. It's a story of story of Peter. I'm sorry, not the, excuse me. It's a story of Jesus feeding the multitude. It says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. They witnessed him do miraculous healings. Verse 3 says, And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what was to happen. Verse 7 says, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? The definition of a lad, according to Google, is assumed to be 13 years old. This is, here's something interesting. The lad is only mentioned in John's gospel, not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. But every gospel accounts for the loaves and the fishes. Only John mentions the lad. That tells me something. And I'm, I'm being assumptive, so forgive me. But those loaves and fishes were likely given up freely by the lad. Can, can you just imagine being this young boy for a second? If you can, go back to the mind of a 13-year-old. Some of our youth students, you're sitting there at 13, it's real easy. But if you could picture yourself among 5,000 people, and no one has food, and everyone's starting to get real hungry, 
and you have the only food for miles. Kind of a terrifying thought. And, and I believe our flesh would want to run or hide that food that they had, or hide that scarce resource that everyone wanted. Well, how, how do you know that? Well, look at the toilet paper shelves for the last two months. Whenever there's a scarce resource, and, and I'm ashamed to say it, but I'd grab a package if I ever found one. I'd put it in the trunk. I wasn't going to let anyone see it and break in. But the point is, is that it proves my point. When there's something scarce, people want to hide it. They want to they shelter it. They want to stockpile it. But, but here's a lad of 13 years old in a group of 5,000 people, has the only food for miles. And what does he do with it? There's no mention in any of the Gospels about a fight or a struggle. The, the disciples don't come back and say, we've stolen this bread from this kid. We had to wrestle it away from him so that he would be cooperative. No, no, no. There was nothing like that. They all account for the fact that it's just readily available. We have this bread. We have these fishes. I believe that's because the lad just gave it up immediately. What's my point? This 13-year-old boy went to Jesus and said, I don't have much among so many, but Jesus, take what I have. Take what I have. And he knew who Jesus was. He knew, he knew if he gave it to Jesus, it's still five loaves and two fishes, but he knew who Jesus was. He knew that he could do a miracle with it and that he could further it. And because he gave, because he sacrificed, Jesus did a miracle. He gave what he had. It wasn't much. Definitely not amongst the crowd that was there, but he still gave. And our young people in this church have so much more to give than loaves and fishes. I know there's, there's pressure to be successful and highly educated and accomplished in this world. That pressure is on those young, those young students. But what would God do if you gave him your life first above all else? No matter how disadvantaged, and again, some of us, we feel like we are disadvantaged. Like we don't have the same talents and abilities other people have. Brianna's been trying to teach me to play piano, and it's, I'm glad no one else is watching. It's laughable. I mean, it's, it's the scariest thing in the world, but that how people do that in a service. I have so much respect for Sister Eliza and, and Missy. But the idea here is that no matter how disadvantaged we are, we still have our will. If we don't have means and resources and finances, you have your time. If, and even if you aren't able-bodied to, to work or do things in God's kingdom, you can still love people and disciple people. Do you, do you know how badly this world needs people that will just love them, that will just ask them genuinely how they are, that will smile at them? We can all do that. And again, it doesn't seem like much. What is, what is my smile or my greeting going to do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening? But God can turn it into anything. The Bible tells us that time and time again. The Bible's repetitive on purpose. I believe that. The Bible tells us, here's, here's six examples if you don't believe the one. It wasn't a coincidence. And I want, to, I want to tell our youth students tonight, you don't need to be a certain age to give God what you have. There is no age cutoff, not like Great America when you have to be a certain height to ride the roller coaster. You can be the shortest person in the youth group. Joseph was a young boy when he was sold to Egypt. He was a slave, but he honored God in every interaction and situation that he was in. Can you, can you be in that situation with your imagination for just a minute? You're, you're in slavery. 
You're in bondage. What do you have? You don't even have your will. You're sold against your will. That's the definition of slavery. You don't have anything. But what does Joseph do? He honors God in how he talks to people, in how he respects people, in how he interacts with them. That was all he had, and he gave it to God. And God used him to save the known world from starvation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were estimated to be eight years old when they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and the threat of death and said, we are not careful to answer you. We will not bow. Young people, the church is going to need young people to stand before the world and on the word of God and refuse to bow before idolatry. I believe that our young people have that same courage to give God. David was estimated to be around 17 years old when he defeated Goliath. And some of you are going to need to have the courage to stand before the giants of this world and run towards them and slay them. Can you, can you be David for a second? Sprinting at this giant, running towards him, an accomplished military freak of nature. You will need to go into battle in the name of the Lord of hosts, and God will make you victorious, and all the world will know that there is a God in Israel. And the enemy will flee, just like the Philistines did that day. All you have to give is what you have. God doesn't care what it is. He doesn't need it. That's that's the amazing thing about God. He doesn't need anything. He just wants your faith. He just wants your sacrifice so that he can start to work. Let me give you one more example. I think Queen Esther is the perfect example of, of giving God your will. It's a complex example, but it's so fascinating. The way I read it, I could be wrong, but Esther isn't in the worst position ever. She's living in a palace, for crying out loud. She's seemingly safe from persecution. She's a queen. And Uncle Mordecai learns of Haman's plan, and and he asks Esther to go before the king and, and beg him to spare the Jews. Look how she responds. I'm reading from Esther chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. It says, And again, Esther spake unto Hattach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king in the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. What's she saying? It's kind of king, old English. She, she says, I'm going to be killed. There, there's a law that says, I, I can't just walk into the throne room. He'll have me dead. She's saying, I don't want to be in harm's way. I don't want to die. He wants to play it safe. But Mordecai reminds her that, that she's still a Jew. She's still one of God's people. And he says, he basically tells her, just because you're in the palace doesn't mean you're going to be spared from this. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words, chapter, I'm sorry, verse 12. Then Mordecai commanded to Esther, think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house. There it is. More than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement 
and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom to the kingdom for such a time as this? Those famous words. But but look what he says earlier in the verse. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, you don't do anything. There shall then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. In other words, Esther, if you won't commit to God's calling, if you won't be used by God, he will deliver Israel another way. Or he will use someone else because God can use anybody. But you are in a position for such a time as this. What, what does she mean? How is it such a time as this for Esther? Because Esther has influence. She has position that none of the other Jews have. And we, and we see this time and time again in the Bible where God's children, his people, are put in positions of authority in, in heathen kingdoms all throughout the world. They're given position and authority, and some of us have that same thing. You're going to be successful in your careers. You're going to have position and influence. And she doesn't want to sacrifice it. She's, she's afraid. She doesn't want to lose her, her position. It says in verse 15, Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shashan, and feast ye for me, and neither eat, or fast ye for me, excuse me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. She finally decides she's going she's to answer God's calling. Sometimes that's all you have to give to Jesus is your influence, your reputation, the respect that people have for you. God can use that in a powerful way. Esther was a queen and that was all she had, really against her will, but she was still a queen. And finally, she told God, just take what I have, and if I perish, I perish. Mind you, God spoke this to her through her elder, her spiritual leader. We need to allow people to speak into our lives. We've got to this, this isn't written in here, but I think there's a pride problem, and I'm, I'm reflecting on myself. We, we have a pride problem about letting people speak into our lives, and we need to allow God to do that. The widow was the same way. It was Elijah that spoke to her, not God directly. And here it was Mordecai that spoke to Esther and said, give God what you have. They both listened. She was willing to let God take her life in order to do his will. And we, and we know the rest of the story. Esther's not killed by the king. She, she goes into the throne room and she, she begs him to come have a feast. And they get there and she asks for another feast. And it's even in David Bernard's footnotes here in my Apostolic Study Bible that there's no real reason for that. They don't explain why she asked them to come to two feasts. But finally in the second one, she finally tells the king what her request is. She finally reveals it to him. This thing, can, can you imagine again just being in the position of Esther and you, you might die. Haman's sitting right there. Finally, she gets up the nerve 
And she, he said, what is your petition? She says, just don't kill me. And just don't kill my people. That's all I'm asking. And the king said, what are you talking about? Who's going to kill you? And she says, this wicked Haman, the enemy. Haman begs Esther for his life. Because she was willing to give God what she had. Her position. Her reputation with the king. She was willing to give it up. And God saved her family, saved her people to the point where that very enemy was begging like a child for his life. See, we, we might think that we have nothing or that, that there's nothing you can do. But God just needs what you have. He, he just needs you to give something. He just needs to know that you have faith. That sacrificial giving of what you have is, is simply an act of faith. And the, and the second you give it, God will not leave you comfortless. He will not, not come to your rescue. If you give, God will bless it. That's really all I got. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and we'll continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.